This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week's podcast is brought to you by BHP. Copper is a big deal in the energy transition because it's used to make electric vehicles, wind turbines and solar panels. When it comes to producing copper responsibly, it's happening now at BHP. Hi, it's Claire Kimball. There's a long weekend where we are, so we're taking Monday off. The next Squiz Today episode will be out on Tuesday the 13th of June. In the meantime, we thought you might enjoy this Squiz shortcut on artificial intelligence. It's by far and away one of the biggest news stories of the year, the developments from the tech companies, but also all these ethical dilemmas that have been thrown up. So it's a good one to get across. And if you've got a moment today, head over to the Squiz Shortcuts show. You'll find shorter explainers, also longer episodes. As we say, it's the backstory to the big news stories. In the meantime, enjoy this episode and we'll catch you tomorrow. AI or artificial intelligence in the long form has been getting quite a bit of bad press lately, with experts warning it could ultimately spell the end of the human race. So we felt that it was time to tackle this one, this Squish Shortcut. We look at what artificial intelligence is, why some of the biggest names in tech are so worried, and what governments, including Australia's, are going to do about it. Squish Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. Claire, I feel a bit funny saying that it could spell the end of the human race in the intro, but that is what people have said. You're not over-egging it. That's what they're saying. Yeah, Yeah, it's been put out by some of the giants of the tech world just a couple of weeks ago. They actually said, hey, we're worried. They put up their Mm. hand. You and I talked about this in Saturday Squiz, and they said it could see the end of humans. It is quite a big statement to make. And look, you talk about the giants of the tech world. We're talking about people like Sam Altman, who is the guy behind ChatGPT and OpenAI, that big company that's really prominent now, uh, as well as top executives from Google, Microsoft, and a couple of hundred top academics who have been looking at this for a long time. Uh, It was just a one-sentence statement, and I'll read it now. Mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal scale risks such as pandemics and nuclear war. It's hard to wrap your head around, really. They deliberately compared the risk of AI to nuclear level extinction. And we'll get into all the details of what they're so worried about in a sec. Let's just back it up a bit because I reckon there's a lot of people wondering (laughs) exactly what they mean by artificial intelligence or AI. And I am, even though we've talked about this endlessly, still one of them. Yeah, getting back to the basics is Mm. always good. So uh, when it comes to the term AI, it might be robots or chat GPT, a chat bot uh, or a self-driving car. Uh, The concept has been around for more than 50 years and back then it was defined as anything that you could get a machine to do that would have previously required human intelligence. So that covers, it's sort of a catch-all for a lot of things. The thing about this is it's actually human intelligence that sets us apart from other living things. Mm. So the way we reason, the way we communicate, the way we problem solve, it's what makes us human. Yeah, so we talked on Saturday Squiz about sentience and what that means. Did That's we? exactly those things. <laughs> I yeah, I know. That. But I'm sure we did. If you cast so. your human intelligence back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so AI we're pretty familiar with now about what all that means. Smart speakers like Alexa, yeah. uh, the Google Voice Assistant or Siri, 
of course, on Apple. Uh, so even if you're just asking for the weather or directions to a cafe, they all incorporate what's known as a form of speech recognition to capture what you're asking. Uh, then they need to make sense of the words that you're using and then they've actually got to communicate an answer. So, yeah, those sort of voice assistants are actually really good examples of AI. And ChatGPT or Google's Bard have almost been constantly in the news for the past six mm. months, as we said, blowing people's minds with the things they can do. And so I guess that's why we're here today. People have really called this as a huge step change in AI. Yeah, and the reason everyone's been stunned by that advancement is just how good they are at using their training to adapt. So we've seen them capable of writing everything from university essays, HR manuals, uh, even to computer coding songs and poems, songs all sorts poems, of things. Artistic things as well. If you haven't used Siri or ChatGPT, I know we recommended that people do mm. jump on and give it a try. There are plenty of other common examples of AI in our lives right now. If you use face recognition mm. on your phone, which most of us do. Google Maps uses AI to suggest the best route home as well. Yeah. And banking would be another sector that's already embracing it in a big way. So using AI to detect fraudulent transactions is one thing. Um, it's also got programs crunching hundreds of millions of transactions every day to determine if a purchase is normal. Uh, and it might generate a text to check with you about whether you're allowing a payment to go through. So that's a little look at sort of what AI is, very, very mm. top level. Let's look next at what was behind this open letter warning the world about the threat of artificial intelligence. The funny thing about this letter, Claire, is one of the big names on it, and you've already mentioned his name, is mm. Sam Altman. He's probably already made quite a bit of money off ChatGPT. He is the head of that product. He runs that company. Now he wants to tell us how it could destroy the world. <laughs> okay. And look, you're not the only one looking at it with a rather cynical eye. Yeah. Uh, Meredith Whitaker, who's president of the encrypted messaging app Signal, she put out a tweet mocking the statement saying that tech leaders were really overpromising uh, their product if they thought it could destroy the world. Uh, but look, there's obviously something there. And to be fair to Altman, he's repeatedly called for regulation of AI. Uh, and I suppose we're really pointing to the ultimate doom, the really big, dark, black scenario uh, that's got the world's attention now. Yeah, it sure did get the world's attention. Just a month ago, British computer scientist Jeffrey Hinton, known as the godfather of AI, he quit Google and he expressed regret over parts of his life's work, fearing the growth of artificial intelligence could lead to killer robots that are smarter than humans. So that's one of his main concerns and he's repeatedly warned the UK's Department of Defence about so-called killer robots. His quote is, it's hard to see how you can prevent the bad actors from using it for bad things. Yeah, and a story about just that went viral about a week ago, Claire. You told me about this one. There were reports that a drone had actually attacked its operator. Was it true or not? <laughs> yeah, so the US Air Force colonel was giving a speech uh, at a big aeronautical conference in the UK and he was describing an experiment where an AI-enabled drone was given a mission to destroy a missile launch site, but it kept being stopped from doing that by its operator. So after repeated attempts, the drone attacked the control tower where it was getting the orders from so it could go and finish its mission. Except that never happened? Well, that colonel later said, no, it didn't happen, that he misspoke. 
Right. The internet went a bit crazy for a while. What he said was he wasn't talking about an experiment that had actually happened, just a scenario they'd been workshopping. So it could happen. Just a scenario. And I'm not sure if that's really meant to be comforting, Mm. but in the clarifying remarks, the colonel said, we never ran that experiment, nor would we need to in order to realise that this is a plausible outcome. Yeah. So that's the real sci-fi robots take over the planet type of scenario, I guess. But it is something that's obviously in the minds of people who are thinking about about these things, that's full-blown worst-case scenario. Mm. Most of the concerns that drove all of these tech people and scientists to sign this letter, Claire, are a lot closer to home. Yeah, so Microsoft President Brad Smith said that deep fakes mm. and the potential that they could be used to be deliberately misleading, they're his biggest worries about the technology. When you say a deep fake, we've talked about this before. Um, we mean like the Pope in a white puffer jacket that some of us fell for a little while ago. So that image of him in a white puffer jacket yeah. looked very, very real. Looking very blingy. Exactly. And while most of us thought that was a bit of fun, I thought it was hilarious. (laughs) I thought it was real. (laughs) There's another really great example from just a couple of weeks ago. So an AI-generated image of an explosion near the Pentagon went viral on Twitter. Uh, So I'm talking about plumes of black smoke near a building. um, And it really did have a sort of passing resemblance to the Pentagon. But what happened was it was all done by an online tool and it created those types of images. Yeah, and with minutes of the original tweet, it got picked up by some big accounts and even retweeted by Russian state media. Yeah, and there was even a dip in the markets. Wall Street took a hammering and that was all before reputable sources like the city's fire department got involved and said that the story wasn't true. So you can see that in one AI-generated image, it can fuel fear and also affect the stock market. And if it was being used as propaganda by a bad actor like Russia, uh, you don't have to really have a big imagination to know that there are some many ways that these sort of things can be misused. Misinformation, it's something we talk about a lot here at The Squiz. That seems to be a huge worry for a lot of scholars in this area, that without regulation, none of us will really know what's real or fake anymore and the potential for damage just gets greater. Yeah, and a few other AI concerns worth noting as well. Do we need more? (laughs) Just a couple. There have been some stories on this over the last few days. Experts worrying about a seismic shock to society as jobs disappear. Mm. Um, National security experts worrying that AI chatbots could be used to groom children to commit terrorist acts. Uh, And also some doctors worrying about an over-reliance on AI for diagnosis and for treatment. We do try to be balanced in squish shortcuts. And I feel like this shortcut hasn't really touched on all the amazing things that AI can and will do. But um, as far as the news coverage, it is all doom and gloom. So we thought we better give you the backstory to that because it's a pretty grim list (laughs) as what we talked about now. So probably now what people are thinking who are listening, they're going, what are we going to do about it? Mm -hmm. Let's dive into that now. A message now from our podcast partner, BHP. The steel made from iron ore plays an important role in providing the production of our energy infrastructure, from wind turbines to power poles. So cutting carbon emissions in iron ore production is key. It's why BHP has committed to a solar and battery agreement to help power its port facilities at Port Headland. It's happening now at BHP. Claire, most of the big AI tech is coming out of the US, China or the EU, but nothing they do really happens in isolation. We're all really connected. So let's go to what we're doing here in Australia to regulate AI. 
yeah, no, these really are global issues. And look, it's a fair call. So the responsible government minister is Ed Husick at the federal level. He released a report on this just last week, basically calling for the public and industry for feedback on how AI should be regulated. And yeah, the big theme is how do you balance supporting the industry, which is clearly so very lucrative, mm. while also recognising that there are big concerns about AI development running out of control. Professor Genevieve Bell was one of the authors of that report you mentioned. I think she's saying that the barriers to get into the industry in Australia are already pretty high. So we'd want to be pretty thoughtful before we make it any harder. Yeah, it's definitely one of those areas where all the big thinkers would prefer if like-minded countries could move together on this stuff. Mm. So the US, the EU, the UK, they're all looking at new AI regulations. One of the big areas that they're looking at in the UK is around medicine. So rules that medical devices that use AI should go through a full system of trials, which is kind of how we regulate medicines here to make sure that they're safe. Yeah, you hear a lot of people talking about guardrails around AI. So in medicine, that might be saying that AI is great at helping us read scans and diagnose diseases, but we've got to define where that help should begin and end and where a human medical professional needs to be involved. And you can see where you're getting into, you know, the tricky stuff. Yeah, lines of delineation and where to machines end and humans pick up. Mm. And the US Congress is also grappling with how to crack down on deep fakes. That's been looking at that for quite some time. Um, some think that you should use a regulation to force software companies to watermark their images, but others reckon that that's just not feasible by their very nature. They're fake and they'll go viral. That's a huge job. A few months ago, Google did stop people from using one of the data tools to help generate deep fakes. Meta, TikTok, YouTube are banning deep fakes that are intended to be misleading. So that also means they are making the call that it's okay to use a deep fake if they judge that it's not harmful. Yeah, like the Pope in his white puppy jacket. <laughs> well, was it harmful? I was harmed. <laughs> I was fooled. It's burned on your brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and this really goes to why deep fakes are such a concern because they become very prolific. Mm. Um, the fear is that people won't know what's real anymore when you see an image or where you see it in the media. Um, to be inundated with those kind of things on your social feeds is a real problem. And all the testing shows that even people who study this stuff will fail to pick up a fake image about one fifth of the time. It's so hard to tell what's real mm. and what's not. US President Joe Biden seems to really want to push this back on the tech companies. Just a couple of months ago, he said it's on them, and this is the quote, to make sure their products are safe before making them public. And it's certainly like we've sort of really hit a moment in all of yeah. this. Uh, AI seems to be taking these giant leaps forward and now we've got a lot of the brightest minds saying, hold up, uh, we really need to agree a few core principles and get a lot tougher with approval processes before they leave the lab. So it's a hard one to rein in clearly once it's all out in the ether. Yeah, this is a subject we're going to be dealing with for a while. Strap yourselves in, everyone. That's your very top line shortcut to AI. Onto our recommendations. Each week we give you a recommendation for some further reading, listening or watching. Claire, I don't think we can put this episode out without recommending our Newshounds Media Literacy Program. We actually have a program, an eight-part podcast series for classrooms and schools, which teaches our children, so seven to 12-year-olds, to be critical consumers of news and information. It teaches them to stop, think and check when they're looking at media. So when they're looking at things on phones, when they're looking at media all around them, and it's all about 
about teaching the next generation to spot a phony? It's a really important thing that our Squiz Kids team are doing. We're so very, very proud of it. I'm thinking stop think and check should be a tattoo maybe that we all get for all of us <laughs> I think I think we should all do news hounds exactly <laughs> maybe we can have some of those fake transfer things on anyway <laughs> I don't know but um, look and I'm not sure if anyone caught the 60 minutes episode with Tom Steinfort talking to an AI robot mm. it's really freaky it's really entertaining and we've got a short clip on that so a couple of different things there links to all of our recommendations are in your episode notes thank you as always for listening to Squeeze Shortcuts. We've got two dropping each week at the moment. If you haven't listened to some of our other ones, dive in there and we'll be back next week. Hello, it's Bryce here from Squiz Kids. Kids and fiscal policy go together like peaches and cream, which is why we're excited to present a special Squiz Kids Q&A this week with Federal Treasurer Jim Chalmers. It's the podcast where the kids of Australia get to ask the questions. Tune in to Squiz Kids today to find out how the notorious B.I.G. has helped shape next week's budget, why the Treasurer considers himself more of a three-pointer than a slam dunker, and why his toenails will be painted with glitter nail polish next Tuesday when he stands in Parliament to hand down the budget. Plus, there's a cheeky question in there about his leadership ambition. All part of our mission to engage kids in the wider news agenda. Check it out in the Squiz Kids podcast feed or via squizkids.com.au.